These are Nebraska corn farmers. They work in acres, not hours, harvesting the energy and climate solutions the world needs. We are proud to stand with you. The success of tomorrow's soy industry depends on the actions we take today. The future is here, and the time to move is now. Market Journal, television for agricultural business decisions, is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Thanks so much for joining us today on Market Journal. I'm Bryce Duskit. Well, we're back here in the studio after the big Husker Harvest Days last week. We still have lots of great content to share with you from this year's event. We'll do so with a discussion on managing soybean stem borer. We'll also get the latest updates from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, specifically on some enrollment numbers. And we'll be talking ag markets with Darren Nusa. That is a look at what's coming up on the broadcast. But first, we always like to catch up with extension pipe pathologist Tamara Jackson-Zims. She says just because the combines are hitting the fields, that doesn't mean it's time to let your guard down when it comes to crop diseases. Stock rot and crown rot are still an issue across many fields in the Cornhusker state. As such, producers may want to keep a close eye on conditions as they're going through their fields this harvest season. This time of year is the time of year when we start to talk more about stalk rot diseases, for instance, and we are seeing some stalk rot development and we're seeing some crown rot. And so if they've watched and even from the road, you can sometimes see some of those plants are starting to die off early. And so uh, you don't know what the cause is until you get out and look around a little bit. And so uh, you really need to carefully use your pocket knife and cut down through the stalk or the, dig up the root ball and cut down through the crown and that'll tell you whether or not you've got stalk rot or crown rot is if you look where that decay is and the discoloration. The big impact of that, of course, uh, at this time of year, we start to worry about lodging and, and cannibaliz cannibalization of the stalk. And so uh, if you have fields that maybe have more than 10 or 15% of the plants are affected, um, I would think about harvesting those fields first or maybe even early if it's bad. And you'll know if the stalk integrity is impacted because you can use the push test and you'd want to do that on 100 or 200 plants in parts of the field. And again, over 10 or 15%, it might be worth your time to harvest those early before they fall. And while it might be too late in the season to be treating tar spot, it is making an aggressive push in many areas of Nebraska. With that in mind, it would be a good idea to report any infected areas in order to give extension educators a better grasp on how this disease is progressing throughout the state. You know, tar spot has probably been at the forefront of our disease concerns. And to this point, you know, it's still mainly in that eastern third of the state. It is still moving though, and you know, we've got these cooler conditions that might be favorable. And 
We want to identify it where it has moved further west, and so you can go to the corn IPM pipe site to see where the most current distribution has been confirmed. Uh, in Nebraska in general this year, disease overall has been pretty light for tar spot, but if it's ever been confirmed in your area, it will redevelop. And so what's happened here in the last couple of weeks is we have seen tar spot redevelop and begin to spread again. Uh, folks who are in extreme southeast Nebraska and in that tri-state area with Kansas and Missouri have experienced severe tar spot this year. And many of those fields have been sprayed multiple times. So they, you know, the weather conditions were a little different. They had some wetter weather in that area that we didn't get in much of the rest of the state. That really impacts this disease. Uh, we know it'll also be favored by irrigation once tar spot moves into more heavily irrigated fields. And so if people see those black spots on leaves, especially on green leaves, and you need help identifying it, we'd really like to know where you're finding it so we can update our maps. And so uh, we'd like to let people know where it's at so they'll know what to expect next year and, and future years. Eventually, it might mean people need to consider fungicide applications and work with their seed company agronomist to position hybrids, maybe with better resistance packages for that disease. Now, for any of your crop diseases you do detect, your local extension educator is always a great resource. You can also send samples in to the UNL Plant and Pest Diagnostic Clinic for testing. If you'd like more information on sending some of those samples in, along with this story, you can find both of those over on the Market Journal website. Up next, there's always a lot of things to see and people to talk to out at Husker Harvest Days. During our time out at the show last week, we had the opportunity to sit down with two of the top leaders within the Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln to discuss how things have been going for IANR this year. Joining us on site out here at this year's Husker Harvest Days is the Vice Chancellor of the Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources, that is Mike Bain. Also, the Dean of the Ag Research Division, Derek McLean, joining us. Gentlemen, great to have both of you here on Market Journal. It's great to be here, Bryce. Derek, I want to start with you. This is your first season, so to speak, uh, in your role as the new Dean and Director, or I should just say Dean of the Ag Research Division. Saw you quite a few field days across Nebraska. I want to get your thoughts, your observations as you did so this summer. Yeah, it's just amazing experience being able to interact with all of our stakeholders and just see how connected we can be and how much we are connected to the stakeholders and the producers in the state. We just, we're right there helping them develop technology, new varieties, and understand where their issues are and help ways we can help them reach the gaps that they're facing, where those opportunities are. Any particular uh, fun stories you can share with us from your travels this past summer? I know you're out to quite a few different field days and a lot of different interactions. Well, we had a great field day up at the Goodmanson Sand Hills Research Laboratory. You know, being able to be out there in that beautiful location, in that setting. We took a group up there, spent the night. We were there at the field day the next day. Be able to go out, see the stars, wake up and see a couple hundred people already there at 8 a.m., knowing that those stakeholders are going to be hearing these amazing things and getting a lot of information they need to know to help their production system. Mike, we'll pivot our conversation over to you. This is not your first Husker Harvest Days, uh, but no. it's always fun to be out and about, isn't it? It's amazing to be out, no, no question. You get your steps in at Husker <laughs> Harvest Days. Saw you at the Goodmans and Sandhills Laboratory. Derek brought that up. And to that point, I thought it was interesting. You were talking about your directive to, uh, I guess, I suppose yourself, but also the folks uh, that you oversee, Derek included. You want them out across the state of Nebraska, being there, having a presence. Expand on that thought that you shared. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you're spot on, right? We 
We serve the people of Nebraska, and so in order to do that, you have to be outside of Lincoln. And uh, I just don't know any way to lead except A, by example, and B, to engage, right? So, you know, we, we, I think in the office we're now keeping kind of score on who's driving the most miles a week. I'm happy to say that Derek and Charlie uh, are definitely beating me here, but uh, the point there is we're out and about engaging people in the communities on their farms, their ranches, their businesses, and yeah, it's worth its weight in gold. And I can't tell you, Bryce, from Jan uh, December of 2016 when I first made the trek and saw the Sandhills for the first time, stopped right there at Highway 2 and 61 where that little uh, quick stop is. Met a, met a person right there, didn't even go to the university, but she knew about the role the university played in her life. And I mean, she got choked up when she told me about this. And so, you know, just being able to get out, I think we're now uh, asking who lives down that lane when you see the, the ranch families on the, on the big sign. Uh, we're making those trips. We're seeing parts of Nebraska that uh, I'm pretty certain that we haven't seen in a bit. And uh, I appreciate partners like Derek and Charlie and Tiffany Sherry Jones that are actually getting out there and doesn't stop with them. Our department heads, for example, we had five new department heads all over the state visiting high schools last week. Um, just really taking our responsibility to engage seriously. Back of the bull sign, the uh, the bull ranch signs, I suppose the ranch signs in general. There's some creative ones out there. It's always yeah. fun to see them. There's some great ones. I got to give a shout out to Brownlee, the town of Brownlee, right there on the Brownlee cut-through road. When you go, they've got a homemade sign that says, welcome to Brownlee, population 15 or so. I, lo <laughs> I love that on the sign. Day. There we go. <laughs> Depends if someone's traveling, yeah. right? I want to stay with you, Mike. This is the first time uh, we've had a chance to visit since enrollment numbers came out from the university's perspective. System-wide, looks like things are holding steady. What, what do you want to share with us from the College of Ag as well as NCTA? Yeah, well, thanks to everyone who's entrusting uh, Kasner with your, your youth, right? The future of Nebraska and actually the world. Um, our first time Nebraska, uh, first time freshman, all time high. First time Nebraska freshman. We had a record last year and we set that record again. Our total enrollment just a little bit lower than we'd like, but by and large, I think people are uh, coming back. It, it, Bryce, surprising how, how much COVID impacted uh, folks. Our global, in, our global uh, engagement uh, is still down. So you know, I guess I would say the good news is that we're getting close to our record setting entry classes and our total enrollment while our global uh, enrollment is still low. So I expect that will turn, turn around here in the coming months and coming years rather. And so I think we're in a good spot. Kudos to Tiffany Hangmoss, Sue Ellen Pegg and the whole team there. And, and uh, Larry Gosen over at NCTA, they're really working hard and can't, you know, the, it, it not only is a value driven thing, but it is an opportunity to make a difference in agriculture and natural resources. And of course, that's really at the heart of Nebraska. Derek, want to bring this conversation back to where we began your travels across the state of Nebraska. Curious your thoughts on opportunities you see for the Ag Research Division. Mike talks about things changing with COVID. Has COVID reimagined some of the research things happening? Uh, your thoughts on that and the direction where we're headed? Yeah, I think we're seeing this, this increase in our attendance at our field days. I know there was a dip and there was a challenge there. And I think that's an opportunity for all of us to understand the technology and, and to see where we're pushing the envelope in precision ag and digital ag, sustainable ag. And we have this great on-farm research network and research group that's working together. And 
hundreds of partners across the state. I'm seeing more of that. That's going to be growing post-COVID. We want to push that outside of the boundaries of Nebraska while we keep this strong foundation here. So we're excited about all those different directions. We had a great field day at West Central in North Platte. We had a great field day out in Scotts Bluff at our Panhandle Research Station. We're just looking forward to the future and continuing to work with our stakeholders. Thanks again to both Mike and Derek for sitting down with us and taking time out of their busy schedules to join us at Husker Harvest Days. We shift our focus now over to the grain markets. This week joining us is Bar Chart Senior Analyst Darren Newsom. Here's our conversation from Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, as you note, there is a chance for, for rain coming up here. I guess as you look at uh, the corn and soybean markets in particular, what kind of storylines you see developing there? I know you're always tracking the demand situation, see if we might be uh, having a bullish story coming down the line. Your thoughts? Yeah, to me, we're seeing, yeah, we've still got a relatively bearish picture painted uh, for both corn and soybeans, at least short term. Again, basis has been weakening. We've been seeing carry starting to slowly build uh, in the nearby future spread, particularly in soybeans, where it's relatively flat in corn. And here's where we really see a, an interesting divergence is, okay, so corn, so the corn spreads are, are a bit more neutral. They're, they're just not really doing much of anything. We can look at the Dece, March, March, May, and so on. And in the soybeans, it's all front loaded. We, we're seeing where the, the Nove Jan has been building some carry, whereas the Jan March is still bullish. And so what this tells me is we know the merchandisers know there's going to be some soybeans sold at harvest, but they also know production is going to be reduced this year, not only from the lower acres that we've known since last February, uh, but because you know this late August weather did take a toll on the crop. And so they're still registering their concern with uh, with a, with by holding that uh, that Jan March spread. It's still in bullish territory now. As we go further out, out into the March, May, May, July, we're going to be dealing with the next Brazilian crop. So it seems like there's a very small window of opportunity in here. If we're going to see, say, the basis market, cash market, and soybeans firm, uh, it's going to have to be after this immediate harvest glut comes in uh, by the time that initial round is sold, and then see what happens over the early part of winter. Well, Darren, to start this week, I had the chance to be on the panhandle of the state and Scottsbluff in particular. And one of our regular Market Journal viewers was asking me who's coming up this week, told him uh, your name. He said, good, ask him a wheat question. What's the story happening there? I'll just toss his direct question to you. Your thoughts on the wheat market? Well, I know, the, I, know the, I know the gentleman's probably talking about hard red winter. There just isn't much going on there. All of the focus right now is on soft red winter wheat. It's incredibly bearish uh, fundamentally. Hard red, uh, hard red uh, winter from Kansas City is actually fundamentally bullish. It just can't seem to find any buyers at this point. But if we focus our attention on the Chicago market, uh, this week saw the uh, CME's variable storage rates go into effect, the higher maximum rate. This was due to the incredibly strong carry uh, through the month of August in the, in the SEPTIS spread. So now we've got a higher storage rate. This is causing a bit of uncertainty in the markets, leading to some, some uh, fund short covering. Uh, the commercials are kind of repositioning themselves as all. The you know, basis is still incredibly weak, 20 to 30 cents weaker than it normally is this time of year in soft red winter. This is also weighing on hard red winter and hard red spring wheat. So again, it's just hard to build a bullish story when you've got this bearish for fundamental situation going on in Chicago. Uh, we could see it start to erode away over time. It's just going, that's what it's going to take. It's just going to take some time. And right now, there's just no one interested in owning wheat, any of the three categories long term. All right, appreciate your insight on that topic. Seems like uh, you and I have the ability to time this out pretty well. Uh, it's like Groundhog Day around here as I toss 
questions to you about the Fed. It seems like we, we talk about that a lot on this program with you, Darren. And they came out uh, as you and I had this conversation on Wednesday with our latest announcement saying they're not going to hike things at the moment, but they they do a pretty good job of letting you know what might be to come. And they predicted the, uh, the, the chairman might be uh, said that they might do that again, have another hike, I should say, here in 2023. Any indication of what else might happen, Darren? Yeah, it was it was interesting, you know, that they did basically what they what, what's been thought that they were going to do. When I say they, I mean the Fed. Uh, and one thing I've really appreciated about this particular round of the Fed is that they have front run their announcements to to limit the type of chaos that we grew accustomed to here a few years back. Uh, where we never really knew what the next statement was going to be. So, you know, back in June, Chairman Powell said uh, to expect a couple more rate hikes this year. We saw one in July. We didn't get one in August, didn't get one in September. So now we're down to October, November meeting and the uh, and the in the mid-December meeting. Uh, what was interesting about the, the conclusion of the September meeting is that there was also language hinting at possible continued rate hikes into early 2024, rather than the much awaited rate cuts that so many folks have been talking about. So we'll see how that plays out longer term in some of the financial markets. All right, Dan, Darren, want to get your thoughts on the livestock complex in particular began this week. Not a lot of support in the cattle complex. Did we see a rebound as you and I had this conversation? We, I mean, the cattle are fascinating. Both cattle markets are fascinating is that they should be going down. Everything about them says that they're, they're, they're overbought, they're overweight, they're, you know, they're top heavy and all of this and all of that. But yet they might spend two, three days going down and then they find the buyers again. Now, at the end of this week, there's the cattle on feed report. So it'll be interesting to see what they say there. It, again, it's not a game changer because this will be as of September 1. Uh, but the big picture is, you know, the, the cattle just continue to find buyers. I don't know who's buying up at these levels. Uh, we're still near at or near all time highs. Fundamentally, we've been seeing commercial traders putting pressure on these markets through the spreads. Basis has been weak a few times. Uh, now we'll see how the cash market develops. If if we if we see the buyers, if we see packers paying up for cash again, while box beef markets coming down, we're going to be looking at a very interesting situation coming out of this week and into next. On the lean hog side of things, that's uh, been a challenging market to say the least over the past several months. At this point, you describe it as wild. Your take. Yeah, the easiest way to predict what's going to go on in the live uh, lean hog market is to put a blindfold on and start throwing darts. Spin yourself around, throw some darts, see where they land. Uh, there's just really no predicting this market from one day to the next. And that's just the nature of the beast. I mean, it, it goes back to the old pork belly days and, and live hog days and these sorts of things. So, I mean, it really hasn't changed itself. What we do know is that there has been some support in the cash market. There has been some support coming from the commercial side. That's where you usually want to see the buying start to come from. It's just been so inconsistent here over the last number of weeks. Good stuff there with Darren. We do appreciate him taking, out of his taking time out of his day to chat with us. As always here on Market Journal, we invite your questions. So be sure to email us or get in touch on social media. And I'll be sure to pass that question along. Prime Choice Select and Standard. Ask any average grocery store shopper and they'll likely recognize these grades. But what many consumers and even some producers might not know is how these grades are assigned to cattle. Recently at an event held at the University of Nebraska Lincoln, stakeholders from production, processing and marketing all came together to gain a deeper understanding of the USDA grading system. You can discover more in the September issue of the Nebraska Farmer. What is now time for weather with Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist Eric Hunt. Well, Eric, we're still experiencing some of that summer heat sticking around here in the month of September, but how are things shaping up as we near October? 
Thanks, Bryce. Looks like we're going to stay relatively warm through most of the rest of the month, and uh, some places it will be quite wet, too. Let's start off by taking a look at the U.S. Drought Monitor, which was released on Thursday morning. Again, a little bit under half the state is technically in drought at the moment, uh, but we did see some exceptional drought expansion down into Knuckles and Thayer County, and eastward expansion of exceptional drought into York, uh, Polk, Seward, and Butler counties. Again, this uh, in a lot of these places, we've seen historic agricultural impacts this year, and we've also been very, very dry, particularly kind of in this part of the state in the last 30 to 45 days, hence the reason for the uh, degradation. Uh, further evidence is shown by quick dry. So a lot of the summer I was showing you veg dry, which takes longer term precipitation reflectance data. Quick dry is reflectance data with shorter term precipitation. So notice a lot of that area where we have seen the uh, degradation uh, to exceptional drought, uh, we definitely are seeing uh, very bullish dry conditions as depicted by quick dry. In terms of soil moisture, things are generally not very good in eastern Nebraska. So this, uh, according to this model, uh, most of the eastern portion of the state is probably in the 10th percentile or worse. Uh, generally much better conditions we get into uh, parts of the Panhandle and the north central Nebraska. And again, very, very dry conditions across a lot of the upper Midwest. And that's going to have uh, an impact on bars traffic on the, on the Mississippi River as that river is starting to get fairly low. So you're going to need a wet fall to really kind of try to get those river levels back up a little bit. Uh, something else I kind of want to mention today. So uh, on the crop progress report, we uh, ex ex exceeded 50% maturity statewide. So we were at 50% dough stage five weeks earlier. Uh, that is a relatively short amount of time to go from 50% dough to 50% maturity. Uh, most years we tend to hit that at within six weeks and in our really good corn yields, uh, corn trend, corn yield trend years, we hit that in seven weeks. This year it was five, same as 2012 and 2022. Uh, so there's a reasonable expectation that our corn yield statewide this year will be uh, around 10% below trend or maybe even a little bit worse. Uh, so I would say that that August projection of 185 uh, for corn in Nebraska is probably not going to come true this year. As we head to the week ahead, though, it looks like we are going to have some decent chances of precipitation. Uh, we've had some very good precipitation across the northern portion of the state on Thursday morning, and good chances uh, will probably be the uh, rule over the weekend, particularly in the eastern portion of the state. We have an upper level low that's going to more or less kind of cut off here for a couple of days uh, into early next week. Again, now it's going to keep the bulk of the heavy precipitation north of us, but we should get some precipitation and potentially some severe weather on Saturday afternoon in portions of eastern Nebraska. Looks like we're going to stay relatively dry in western Nebraska, at least for the next uh, four or five days. So we head the, into the later part of the month and into early October. Again, the CPC is uh, suggesting a relatively strong trough will enter the western U.S., keeping that area cool. Uh, warmer southerly flow out ahead of it, so above average temperatures are expected uh, for a lot of the rest of the month. Uh, again, I, this seems like a pretty uh, good, uh, I, would, I would kind of bet on this, just given that uh, this trough is coming in uh, next week, probably will be slow moving. Uh, but in addition to the warmer temperatures, this should actually bring us some decent chances of precipitation. Uh, so again, I understand that uh, this time of year it's a battle between trying to recharge our soils and get uh, crops out of the field. As I know a lot of people are starting to harvest or making decent progress, uh, but we really do need the precipitation. And it looks like Mother Nature may actually deliver us decent precipitation as we head toward the later portions of this next week. Thanks. Back to you, Bryce. Alrighty. Thank you very much for that update, Eric. Finally, today we head back to the grounds of Husker Harvest Days and what they call the Big Red Building. Market Journal producer Bill Dodd went one-on-one -on -one with Extension educator Ron Seymour to get some information on why soybean producers should keep a vigilant watch for soybean stem borer as harvest hits full swing. 
Harvest is in full swing around Nebraska. Soon those soybean fields will be picked clean. However, there may already be some pests in the field getting a head start on our producers. The soybean stem borer has been a consistent problem in areas of the state. It's a good idea to be aware of these pests when making plans for harvest. So soybean stem borers are small beetles, longhorn beetles, that will, in their larval stage, will tunnel out the inside of the stem of the soybean plant. And that tunneling can cause the, that particular stem to lodge or fall over, making it really hard to harvest. And so soybean producers should be out looking at their fields for a kind of like a flagged leaf or a stem that's kind of uh, not standing quite straight or an area where they're not and that means that you have these stem borers in there. So the thing to do then is to take out some of those stems and slice them just to see if you have any of those larvae in there feeding. And uh, if you have very much of that in your field, it's important to target those fields for earlier harvest. Even if your moisture level is a little high in those particular fields, to be able to harvest those early um, will help you in, in the long run because if you get a big wind or as those plants continue to dry down, they could all fall flat. And then that's really hard to harvest as most farmers are aware. And so better to be able to target those and say, I'm gonna get this field first or this part of that field first so that I will get the greatest amount of, of harvest or yield from that particular field before it goes on on the ground. If you happen to determine that stem borer populations could cause problems, it will already be too late for any treatments. However, there are steps you can take over the next planting and growing season to ensure that these beetles stay clear of impacted fields. So if you have a lot of soybean stem borers, then you know we're more than likely they're going to be uh, rotating to corn anyway, but a couple years of corn will certainly help reduce the amount of stem borers that are in that particular field. You know, you could go through and um, tear up the trash in a few of those areas. I kind of hate to see people do that because, you know, we don't have a lot of residue behind soybeans anyway. And um, so just rotation can really help a lot in those situations. If you have a lot of stem borers in your area, you know, some people have talked about looking at making some insecticide applications to help control those. Unfortunately, the borer adults are out there for quite a while, and so it may be two or three applications of an insecticide to control those. So just kind of pay attention, see how much of your field is affected, think about those management options when you go back to soybeans. As producers begin to roll out the combines, it may be beneficial for them to get a good look at their soybean fields in order to ensure that they're able to let that crop continue to dry down or decide if they should try to harvest a bit earlier than intended. Reporting for Market Journal, I'm Bill Dodd. Great information, Bill. We appreciate that. If you'd like to keep up with all the latest from Nebraska Extension when it comes to crops, head on over to their website. It is cropwatch.unl.edu. Well, that is about all the time we have for this week's show. As a reminder to you, you can now stream Market Journal, our full episodes over on Acres TV. Simply download that app onto your smartphone or your smart TV. You can also visit the website watchacrestv.com. From our team here at Market Journal, we hope to see you back here next time. Until then, I'm Bryce Tuskit, wishing you a safe and productive week.
Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.